Hey, everybody. You're listening to the Bull and the Badger um, podcast. It's a podcast about Asian American mental health. And hello, I'm Vanessa. I'm the Badger. And I'm April. I am the Bull. And uh, this podcast is an offshoot of Vanessa's film, a documentary called The Laundromat. Finally got the name right. Woo! It only took like five weeks. It's cool. It's cool. You only were like in the movie. That's cool. But uh, Well, the film itself was your one minute or 30 second pitch. 10 uh, seconds, actually. 10 seconds. The one line, the one liner about it is it's my Asian American documentary about really intense things and how uh, Asian American families don't talk to each other. Um, but uh, it's a lot about a lot of different things. It's about how we grew up. It's how we um, live our lives as adults now. It's all about, um, you know, uh, how do we work against um, some cultural stigmas that we've grown up with and are kind of ingrained um, into our blood and bones. And, um, blood and bones. Yeah, yeah. And where we can people see there. this bloody, bony trailer for this documentary? Um, so connected with that... Um, there's a website called atthelaundromat.com and basically uh, you are also a content contributor to that website and um, there's a bunch of stories, there's uh, information about the film, there's also a Facebook and it's www.facebook.com slash the laundromat documentary, that's laundromat with an O for anybody out there um, and uh, idiots oh no <laughs> Well, you know, you got to hit all all Laundry points. Laundromat's kind of a hard word, I guess. I like how you conceded, but it's like <laughs> hashtag guess. sorry, but not sorry. <laughs> hashtag I guess. <laughs> True. And so, um, yeah, but um, though there, we have this documentary called The Laundromat, what the Bull and the Badger are about is kind of having um, the same conversations taken um off screen and onto this podcast. Can you tell us a little more about that, April? Um, basically, the film is super somber, and the website is kind of along the same lines. We've got a lot of like tear jerkers going on, but the podcast is supposed to be a little lighthearted. Um, it's supposed to show that you know we can have conversations about mental health and our culture without being so super heavy and depressing and all that stuff. So Vanessa and I try to be funny. Um, make ourselves laugh. I I don't know. Hopefully, I'm pretty good at it. Might chuckle every now and then, but if you don't, that's okay. We're used to it. <laughs> so true. Um, and today, I I guess the topic we chose was uh, faith and all those all those things around faith. And um, if I were a better singer, I would start busting out faith, um, uh, George Michael's faith. To, oh, or or Limp Bizkit's faith. Uh. Come on, come on. I feel really bad for having access first to the Limp Biscuit one because I, I just thought people were like, yeah, like, it's <laughs> 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 like, yeah, this is the song, right? It's like, when people, nah, 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 nah. you know, what this is like old gross rocker self. Sorry. Limp. You're um, no longer making sense. <laughs> no, but, but I just have this like really clear vision of the video and then like. The original's like it just feels really different. Do you know what I'm saying? Like Yeah. <laughs> it does. It feels very different. It's a totally different song. Okay, but also like uh just to give some people context, like maybe we should talk about like where we are on the faith continuum. You know, okay. like all of us have We're self identifying our yeah, faith. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Um, I mean I don't think about it too much, um, but I would consider myself agnostic. Mm-hmm. Um I am definitely not atheist, but um as I guess, you know, I guess I'm agnostic. Okay. Um, 
did you well do you want to get in back into background oh yeah later? well um i'm filipino so i was raised catholic not that all filipinos are catholic but you know 99 percent of them are particularly in the philippines and um my mom is very much catholic and still practices but i myself you know went through the sacraments i was baptized and i was um had my first communion and i had my confirmation in high school and uh now I go to church with my mom every now and then, and I like singing because my favorite part of going to church is singing <laughs> the songs. I remember. Can I can I interrupt really sure. quickly? I remember this like Family Guy episode where like they're all singing in mass and they're like, "We're trying to pretend this is not weird." I'm like, I guess it is weird to people who haven't grown up in church. It just I just have no access because like that's how I've grown up my whole life. You, know you mean like people who only go for like. Uh, Christmas and Easter or something like or, that. Or, yeah, like like singing in church, the idea of singing in church. Well, I'm used to it because I've sung yeah. in church ever since I was a kid. Yeah. But um, they're always like, I don't know, Catholic churches are not cool. Okay? Like, <laughs> I've seen some really sing songs ones. that are 40 years old and like, oh, oh hymns. Hosanna, Hosanna. And don't, going to don't, hell. And don't stop. Don't stop. Oh, I, think, I think you're going to be okay, but just in case, I'll, I'll scoot two inches to the right. Um, so, How about uh, you, Vanessa? You've got a lot more to say about it. Um, so I identify as a Christian, um, Protestant Christian. I grew up Southern Baptist, which some people, like, that has meaning for them. And so, like, I try to go, I'm, like, not a Southern Baptist Baptist, but that's how you grew up. Um, uh, I guess, yeah, I mean, like... I can't even imagine a time when I wasn't going to church. And that's one of those things where, uh, yeah, you have to like eventually choose, you know, whether you want to go to church, what you want to do with your faith and things like that. And for me, um, I, I chose to stick around. I chose to, um, um, in, in the Christianese, um, you know, like to choose a, a life of faith and to be a follower of Christ and um, whatever whatever the terms are for that and uh, and living like a life of authentic faith and like now it's uncool to say the word religion or things like that but um, I mean I think it's one of those like things that you go through your whole life doing you know um, spirituality actually that's <laughs> that ended up being a big part of the documentary in terms of my questions to everybody because I was asking a lot of my friends um, in the movie about, like, therapy and, like, all those things. And then um, faith came up a lot, you know, just in the course of the discussions. And it was a part of the movie that I wasn't able to put in, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, one day, one day I hope to bring it back because I think that faith is a really important discussion we were talking about, like, mental health and well-being because there's like all these like double-edged things that came with that so um maybe we'll get into that any funny church stories i there's you have to if you if your there's entire so many life funny church stories church. Uh, if if you're growing up in the church like honestly uh you you you, you become like a naughty kid. You're not like, you don't necessarily go like straight down the path to hell, but like, it's naughty enough where you like make your teachers cry because you like step on their toes. Like, I love when you would... say you, you really mean I. That's <laughs> uh, me and my friends, I guess. Like, oh, uh, <laughs> we would pick on specific guy counselors and like, because you're a kid, they can't, they can't hit you. They can't like do anything back. So we would totally like stomp on their feet and run away. We would like, we'd, man, I think we like punch them in the stomach and stuff. We're just like <laughs> bad kids. 
Uh, I love to picture a little Vanessa punching grown men in the stomach and running away. We were kind of, we were kind of, yeah, we were, we were bad kids. Yeah. uh, I mean, one funny story that where we weren't torturing like our adult like leaders um, was uh, my friend and I. um, So when we do communion in like a, a Christian Protestant context, it's a little different than Catholic. Like you don't consider it as holy. Like it's not the body of Christ or the blood of Christ. It's just like a representation of it. And it's not the, what is it? Transmorphification. Transubstantiation. Oh, just, <laughs> I think that trans, I think you're going to Harry Potter territory. Oh, <laughs> Which shows you how much I know about the Catholic faith. Transmogrification. Um, am I right? I feel like, <laughs> I might be wrong. Who knows? <laughs> Talking to two people who don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> Please, um, all the Catholics out there, please forgive us. Um, fight in your hearts um, to give us some grace. But um, so she, she, <laughs> okay. My we friend had like a, a piece of matzo, and like she totally like it slipped out of her hand, and it's like, oh my gosh, do you eat it? <laughs> but it's falling on the floor. Oh, I have a story. Okay, so like before I had my first communion, I have two older sisters, and um, they were they had done their first communion, you know, so they go up during communion and get the little wafer and then come back. Except I couldn't go up because I hadn't been through my first communion yet. But I wanted to know what it tasted like. I want to know this little wafer that they got, you know? And so mm-hmm. they'd always tell me it tastes like an ice cream cone. I'm like, oh, I want an ice cream cone. So my sisters, who are very sweet, they, if you can, I don't know, if you consider it sweet, they'd go up, go to the priest, you know, put their hands out, say amen after the priest placed it in their hand, uh-huh. like the, you know, body of Christ. Yeah. Slip it between their gums and their mouth, outside mouth, and just keep it there until they walked back and then gave it to me so I could, ha- wow. I could know what it tasted like. That's love. Yeah. 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 Also, it was like a little you're baby all bird. going to hell together, though. It's like, <laughs> I, cool. <laughs> Sweet story. Still going to hell. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we should bring in our guest. She's so patient. She, I know. And, like, She's been quietly really laughing patient. at our non-funny jokes. Well, they were kind of funny. <laughs> Mostly our blunders. I would say the blunders were the funniest part of that. But yeah, she's been keeping, she's been holding in the laughter, which kudos to you, Sarah. Um, I met Sarah at my um, first job out of grad school. What is and your full name? Sarah Zarina Usman. Or yes, no, I don't know. Um, that's about, I mean... No, I, I completely messed it up. She's going to reintroduce herself later. Um, so <clears throat> she uh, was one of the voices of reason in um, a place that can get pretty crazy with deadlines and um, demands and everything's ASAP. And, we met at um, work. We met at work. And uh, she actually uh, came out of the USC producing program, which, you know, you know. I, mean, USC. I find it tolerable that she did that. Uh we, we sometimes we rumble in the halls, but you know, it was fine. Sometimes it was just like Indiana Jones level <laughs> fighting. No, I'm hallways. talking about like Jets and the Sharks, man. You're like dancing down the halls. <laughs> jet, you're a jet. You're yeah, all the people yeah. you're working with are like, oh God, this again. <laughs> yeah. Well, there were, we, she was kind of outnumbered though, so um, wasn't really fair. So, uh, but so Sarah is a producer. Uh, she also writes. Um, she's just a renaissance woman who's like uh 
who I respect a lot for her opinions. We always have good discussions about whatever it might be, whether it's artist artisanal burgers and French fries, <laughs> or it's about faith or feminism, whatever the topic is, um, I always have a good discussion. So Sarah, can you take it away and um, tell us about yourself a little bit, and but also like maybe what your experience with faith is? Well, hi, Sarah. <laughs> hi. Oh, what? Hi. Hi. Oh, oh, hi let's say hi to each other. What? Are we human beings now? We're treating each other nicely? Friends, <laughs> oh, no. this is friendly. I don't. Just, I like Sarah immediately. I like, I like April. I enjoy it. Yeah. Wait, can you guess her Kiersey before we start? We have to wait till the end. All right. Okay, but start thinking about it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay, as in no. But <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay. Sorry, Sarah. Go ahead. Yeah, so I met Vanessa at work, and we have lots of great discussions about all sorts of topics. I actually went to the USC production program for cinema and television. I, uh, producing would have been awesome. I would have so many more oh, the badass Starkies. skills if I did that, but I didn't. But, yeah. Uh, Thanks, Vanessa, for knowing your friends so well. Uh, but bottom line, she went to USC. I think, like, I heard USC, and then I stopped listening. <laughs> It was just like that, and then there was fire in my eyes. Hatred. Yeah. yeah. After this, we just beat you up. It's an ambush. That's why I'm here. No. Sucker. Um, yeah. Because, so USC production program, and and from there, what did you do? I did a lot of freelance work after graduating. I did sound, production sound, post sound. I did editing for hire. I produced small projects here and there for hire. Anything to get by, really. And then I started working for reality television, which is where I work now. And I also am producing a feature film uh, with a good friend of mine who I met at USC, and that's called Russian Red Number no. 7. It's set in Paris and Beijing. And that's a really exciting project that I'm looking forward to. A little co-production. Yeah, a little co-production. What's it about? <laughs> It's about a Chinese model living in Paris who falls in love with a French singer, but she can't embrace that love because she has to confront her past uh, when she was a teenager in Beijing uh, who became pregnant and got HIV. So it's a very dark story, but it's ultimately life-affirming because anyone with, with a difficult past has the option to build a positive future. Right. So, yeah, it's, it's a positive good story. Positive future. Yeah. <laughs> There's a pen, pen in there, huh? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> I just realized I had the grossest laugh. Let's all do a gross laugh. <laughs> all right. No, but they stopped listening immediately. <laughs> Everybody just turned it off. So I actually, Vanessa sent me your credits, which I, I looked through. And did you, correct me if I'm wrong, you directed a music video or did some production work on the music video? I did. I uh, production managed a music video for the band Lifehouse. Is at that one the point. Christian? Yeah. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. They they don't That's call like themselves the, Christian. Oh, rock, Lifehouse. Yeah. I was thinking of that other Christian. Switchfoot. Yeah. No, it was Lifehouse. Because then I was like, oh, that guy's hot. But Switch <laughs> Lifehouse is okay. It's also hot. <laughs> <laughs> They're hot. I haven't heard anything from. He's kind of like a gawkier, like. Yeah, but he's cute. Did you meet him? Yeah. Yeah. Did, did you like? Trade digits and stuff. <laughs> trade digits. It was completely that situation. <laughs> Guess it's like an antiquated way of. My job. You gave him the four one one. Get out of the nineties. Never. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Sweaty hands. I can't give you a high five. I'm sorry. I am like a puddle over here. I'm hot. This dog is on my lap. The dog's being gay. The dog's well name behaved. is Peanut. It's really it's a adorable. literal dog. It's not like. 
a euphemism for I don't even know what. Let's continue with what we're talking about. How <laughs> yes. was your music video? That's exciting. Yeah, yeah, it was cool. It was a long time ago, though. Oh. Uh, it was some... Uh, and mainly I dealt with the band's people, like agents and things like that, rather yeah. than the band themselves. But How'd I made sure they gig? were comfortable. It was actually through USC. It was um, There was a program where music videos often you can compete to uh, direct them or work on them. And a friend of mine uh, got the project to direct, and I came on board as a production manager. That's what so. school's all about, mm-hmm. It's just finding those connections and stuff like that. That is what school's all about, Vanessa. You really boiled it down. Summarized. Um, so so we, since Vanessa and I talked about our faith, why don't you talk about your faith a little bit? Okay, sure. Why not? <laughs> um, I'm Muslim. I grew up Muslim. I'm, I'm ethnically Bangladeshi. Uh, my uh-huh. parents and Wait, I... Can we, can we pause sure. and do a shout out for the South Asians? Because you're our first South Asian... Oh, yes. Yeah. Yep, yep. Breaking the ceiling here. The barrier. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. The first. Thank God. Um, yeah, okay, sorry. So you're ethnically Bangladeshi. Go on. Yeah, I'm ethnically Bangladeshi. I grew up in Boston. I was raised in the Muslim faith. I am a practicing Muslim. Um, I, I think my practice of faith has changed over time. I wasn't very, I wasn't very practicing as a, as a kid, but I was always spiritual and had curiosity about many different types of religions and spiritualities. And I started practicing when I was in high school. I started wearing the headscarf, the hijab, and I've been wearing it since then. So it's been quite a long time. I think I've been wearing the headscarf for, for about half of my life now. <laughs> so it's been a while. Yeah. So, uh, I think a lot of people would define uh, practicing in many different ways and I think uh, I fall on the the liberal end of things and progressive views like I think I would have a lot more in common with like a progressive Christian uh, or progressive Catholic than I would with like a very conservative Muslim or fundamentalist or so like on, on the scale of things that's where I fall okay yeah do you ever get into beefs with like more conservative people or is it just kind of like, well, this is my thing and this is how I practice it? When you say more conservative people, are you also talking about more conservative Muslims or more conservative like like anybody? Either. I think I, ha- I get into a lot of beef with conservatives in general, like across a lot of viewpoints. Like politically, I have issues with Republicans <laughs> because it's the Don't same. <laughs> same sort of mentality it's like not being able to see progress and not being able to see um the whole picture and only being able to see one standard of things and that makes it very difficult to uh move forward or have a a, an open discussion if 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 someone is only seeing one part of the picture and insists on that so your parents are practicing muslim as well they're culturally muslim uh, yeah like bangladesh um is is about 85 percent muslim in oh, the okay. country uh and so there are a lot of muslim practices and holidays of course that just are part of the culture just like in america a lot of people are culturally christian so so were they happy when you started started coming back to the fold i suppose it's an interesting phenomenon uh you'll see a lot of people in my generation who have started wearing the headscarf or started practicing their faith and uh it was a 
it was departing from what their parents knew uh, of the cultural of their cultural understanding of the faith. So to them, I actually looked like I was being very conservative, and I would hear my parents say things like, "Oh my God, she's going to marry an Arab." <laughs> when I started wearing the headscarf, it's like, uh, and my mom would like hide the scarves so I wouldn't be able to wear them. Really? Yeah, yeah. So it would, it would be the struggle in at home. It's like, no. I'm going to do this. It's what I want to do. And they'd be like, no, this is too much. Oh, that's um, interesting. Yeah. So, uh, but over, over time, like, we got to understand where we're both coming from. And um, my how long youth, would, was that process? Uh, the process of us meeting each other yeah. and understanding each other. I think it's still going. Uh, but I think uh, they became a lot more accepting of it over time as they saw other people and their children also uh, being um, just normal people in practicing the faith. Uh, I think a lot of um, my parents' fears were like, oh, religious means like fundamentalist or, you know, something of that nature. Uh, And especially in in an American Muslim context, you'll see a lot of people who are becoming more practicing because identity is important to them and you can become you can embrace a lot of different parts of your your identity as an american if you come from somewhere else like from a young, from a young age you're like oh what am i am i bengali am i muslim am i blah 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 you know how much am i american and so when you start asking those questions you get to different answers and for some people it's like oh I really find for me it was like Islam embraces all of these identities for me and it's like a holistic not just spiritual uh, guidance but it's it embraces all my ethnic roots and all the identities that I belong to so Mm -hmm. that's much more of a home than you know just picking like oh I'm gonna be just Bengali or Bengali American it's like Mm -hmm. something more encompassing kind of like a way of life right yeah that sort of thing so yeah, I think uh, my folks have appreciated it more over time, and are a lot more comfortable with it because they see like their friends and their um, friends' kids also being that way. So. Mm, okay. In in Boston, was this? Because I'm I'm guessing it was in Boston that you decided to wear the headscarf and things yeah. like that. And what was the reaction of the community um, outside of your faith community and within the within your faith community? Is Boston kind of the worst? I don't know. I kind of have that feeling. What do you mean the worst in what? Like, in terms of, like, racism and stuff. I mean, not the worst. Obviously, it's not the worst. But it's, like, surprisingly, like, closed for what is, like, a democratic state. And, I mean, you have, like, you know, like, all the colleges there and stuff. And so, like, you have a lot of people coming in. But, like, Bostonians... You know what I mean? I think you're thinking like Southeast or something. <laughs> There's just like too many, like the departed yeah, I mean, in the town. Okay, sorry. If that doesn't, you don't have to talk about it. I mean, I, don't, I really don't know how Boston compares in terms of racism to other cities. I don't think it's any more racist than anywhere else. Okay. Um, I think it's it was a fine place. I mean, I grew up with a lot of different races in a very multicultural context with like Brazilians and Italians and Portuguese and Irish and Haitians and... Um, so it where was, are these people coming from, by the way? That's too many people. <laughs> where are these people coming from? <laughs> from those countries that she just mentioned? Ugh, so diverse. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Go on. Sorry. I can just hear like the Brazilians in my town from across oh, like right. a country. Like oh, we're cheering really loud. <laughs> the awesome. World Cup. Sure. Um, so anyway, uh, sorry, I stepped all over Vanessa's yeah. question. <laughs> no. Uh, racism, I don't know, is isn't such a 
big problem to me in Boston. But what was your original question? The original question was just like, you know, like wearing your headscarf. Yeah, in like Boston. in in Boston, and then within the context of your faith community, how did people view that? Because I think, like, um, one thing that I was thinking about as we started these talks was the range of how people in the community deal with each other. Like when I think about my faith community, I think about the people I don't relate to at all, the people that I don't enjoy interacting with. And then I also think about, you know, um, the people that I do enjoy hanging out with and that I respond to really, you know, well with, which is usually like progressive evangelicals and things like that. So, oh, yeah. So, um, uh, what was I going to say? Um, Sorry, I'm totally distracting everybody and just no, taking no, no. pictures. So, uh, we can do a photo op later. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so to answer your question about uh, different people's reactions to the headscarf, it feels like ancient history now, but, um, a, well, there's a re- initially my parents' reaction, which was just like fear and uh, not really understanding. And then um, I didn't really belong to a mosque at that time when I was in high school. Mainly I had started practicing because I was reading a lot about different religions and I wanted to take uh, the headscarf on. Um, and so it was, it was something that happened in isolation. So I didn't really have a reaction from a Muslim community, really. Uh, so like my friends in high school were like, oh, that's a new, nice new hat, Sarah. That's weird, but whatever. It's a nice hat. Um, kind of, you know, it wasn't really a big deal to anybody. Uh, and then within like the Bengali community in Boston, I think that's where I got a little more pressure and judgment and uh, things have really changed now like there's just like a lot of people started wearing the headscarf in subsequent years and so it's just a very normal thing now but when I had first started doing it it was just a lot of like people watching you and thinking like holding you to a certain standard of behavior and it's just like people would like aunties would come up to me and be like uh, you know, make du'a for me, which means say a prayers for me. I'm like, I'm not like this religious holy woman. Just because wow. this thing on my head. It's because I want to just wear the thing on my head. Yeah. It's not like I have suddenly these superpowers. You can <laughs> say those prayers yourself. <laughs> you <know>? um, <laughs> yeah. So I, sometimes I, I couldn't really tell if they were like actually serious or they're just mocking me because it's like, oh, kid, like yeah, thing. You know, I couldn't tell. Um, so I got those kinds of reactions. Um, so that was in a nutshell, how I, how I came into practicing the faith. There's always like a turning point, right? Like those turning point stories and stuff like that. And I think they're important to your self-identity. And um, yeah, I mean, my uh, my other turning point story was actually, it coincided a lot with my like depression my first year of college, which is where like, like I th- always thought, you know, like that I was the person who I said I was, you know, the Christian that I said I was until I was like, like, asked to be outside of the community that I knew and then at like challenged to uh challenged to um uh uh, I just felt really lonely basically you know and so um it wasn't until I found the community that I could interact with 
but also not relying on them, relying more on my faith. And then the community came after, you know, like those kinds of stories that I think like really important when you're thinking about like, oh, this is who I am. This is my story. And I, I mean, that was my story in the documentary too. Just like, I mean, it sounds kind of like you're like an abstract speaker. So I'm trying to like piece it together. Yeah, but yeah, like, yeah. It kind of sounds like, like you had your community and that that's for so long, you know, mm-hmm. growing up and like, you know, up until high school, graduating high school. And then you go to a different community in college mm-hmm. where like, it's, you know, you're not surrounded by the same people yeah. and maybe like, you know, things are done differently in other places and stuff. And so you kind of had to fall back on your faith, you know, as it were by itself and yeah. then find your own faith community after that. So it's yeah. kind of like being transplanted out of like the world that you knew into something else and that transition. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's like a good assessment of it. Cause like, but more specifically, like um, I think that when, I was transplanted into another community that I thought was the same kind of community. I realized like it definitely wasn't because you, you know, you're not as, ah, I guess like it was everybody my own age, but I was, um, it, it, all like social kind of communities have like hierarchies. So I was again at the very bottom and I didn't know my place again and things like that. And so like, I thought I was going to make all these like awesome connections and like, like people would understand me, you know, um, and 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 when you're you be, you're becoming an adult, like you're like looking for a different kind of understanding. You're looking to be vulnerable with people. You're looking for people to accept you for who you are and things like that. But then, everybody in college is, especially in your first years, you're just like la la la, everything's fun and everything's cool. And then like I was just like, but let's have a deep conversation. And I wasn't getting that. Like you know, I was getting those kinds of friendships where I was like, you know, um, where people were responding to that. So like and. So instead of like, I think for for me and my faith, I was being asked to stop relying on other people, you know, which I think was where I was getting a lot of like my experiential faith was like through other people. And it wasn't necessarily like I had to reclaim it for myself, you know. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I like the turning point stories where you talk about like when you make the decision to make like a more outer commitment, you know, like where you have to like be out there about it you know um and then I think too like even like culturally like if you grow up in a different context it's it's kind of like saying yes or no to different parts of your Asian American identity you know like you have to say yes to this or no to that I mean I had to make the decision to also like leave my home church which to some people is like a more devastating thing or less you know and but doing that like you know always pushes you to do and be and to go down a path that you think you should be going down. I know that's really abstract, but maybe maybe somebody can take that ball and talk about it. Well, really it's quickly. interesting, like hearing. I think that we went through the same thing, and I, I know that we've talked about that before. But having that difficult, like high school to college transition, you know, being pulled out of mm. what you knew and what you've sort of like honed for the past twelve years, and then being plucked or dropped somewhere else, you know? And so, like, it's funny because, not funny, but it's interesting that you interpret that as, like, being taken or leaving, like, your faith community. And then what does that mean spiritually? That means that I need to rely more on myself and then, like... Well, rely more on my faith, less on myself, because, like, it was a dependency on others. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then, like, my sort of, like 
a a religious version of that is like you know I had all my friends and all my like support system and family in high school and then leaving that and going to a school not even that far from my home like and having to sort of start over again you know and it really sort of makes you reflect on who you are and like what your needs are and how you mm-hmm. interact socially yeah. and then like sort of building like not necessarily totally from scratch but a little bit from scratch you know um and that was a little bit of a struggle so i don't know it's interesting it's like the what's i'm totally forgetting the word that is secular it's like the secular version of like the same story did you sarah have anything like experiences like that transitioning from high school to college and finding identity and a new community that sort of like struggling because wellesley is pretty far or not it's about an hour away from boston i lived in the dorms uh and there were a lot of transitions going on at that time. And I think uh, going from high school to college did give me a community for the first time because I had been practicing in isolation, basically, um, in high school. I was the, I learned how to pray off the internet and like all the ritual things. And yeah, um, so it was pretty much self-taught and self-driven. And then when I was in college, I, I had other people who are my age that I could connect to and actually have a live discussion about things that I'd been reading about. And so it was eye opening and it was great to have like people like actual people to to talk to about these things. Uh, So that was really formative experience for faith and for identity at the time. So, I mean, I didn't have to, there wasn't like a home church that I was leaving or any sort of, um, departure or transition in that way well what would what would you say uh like going to college then besides like being a part of community like what did that look like and like having those discussions like how do you think that influenced the way that you then began practicing like was there more like a a wider view of what your faith meant or like what did that yeah what did that look like for you yeah suddenly I had access to all of these different perspectives from people who followed different interpretations of Islam who uh, prayed differently or, or different sects it's like oh I didn't know that that's kind of weird but I understand the principle behind it and you know it's just, it broadened my horizons and made me realize how uh, Islam in a lot of ways is taught in such a narrow way sometimes in the literature but in practice it's so vast i mean it's it's like the second largest religion in the world and Mm -hmm. it's like there's so many different interpretations and all of them are acknowledged by each other um but i think like uh, a a lot of what's taught is sometimes a bit more conservative uh especially in america because of you know funding from different places and so that's you get a certain interpretation and you think that's like Islam, but there's just so much out there. What are some of the topics or issues that like are really important to you that you take a more broad interpretation or different interpretation from like traditional or conservative interpretations? Hmm, that's an interesting question. I think I don't think it's like one thing or a couple of things. I think it's just a whole worldview that's different. It's like, uh, I, I think some conservative, uh, like on the conservative end of uh, things, in Muslim communities, you'll find people who will talk about the headscarf being so important and how like uh, people should go to Islamic schools and, and raise a child in that complete immersion mm-hmm. um, or uh, people should be 
you know, dressing and behaving in a certain way. And I think that's like missing the point. <laughs> and I think that's like a whole world, that approach to religion where religion is the end in itself misses what the teachings of Islam are. Uh, and so like, for me, I much more agree with religion being a means to an end. Uh, you should be, become a more empathetic person. You should be more aware of the issues that affect your community and in the world and much more engaged intellectually because those are the things that the religion is actually teaching you to do, not, you know, dress a certain way. Like, like just because I wear the headscarf doesn't make me a better person than someone who doesn't wear the headscarf. It just means I appreciate that part of my religion and I want to practice that part of my religion. So... I think someone who is much more conservative in their understanding just focuses on the literal aspects of things and doesn't really understand or value the underlying point as much. So. Cool. We're just looking at each other now. <laughs> I know, we're just all like <laughs> nodding our thoughtful heads. thoughts, right? Um, I, I'm curious too, like, now that you're in LA, is there another transition for you, um, like, just in 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 your faith uh faith community and like kind of even your identity or is it like I don't know well LA it's partly LA and it's partly just a different phase in my life I think uh like when you're a student and you're exploring your identity and you have so much knowledge coming at you and so so much stimulation coming at you and growth happens so quickly at that time like uh you're you're constantly striving to be a better person or the better version of yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that gets harder and harder to do. That's something I still strive for, but it's just harder when you are trying to make a living and you have so many goals and you have like these day-to-day things that are not necessarily all geared to your education. Um, so I think not just being in LA, uh, but being like a working professional has changed how I approach faith. Like it's something like, Maybe in the past, I would have looked at multiple re- resources to understand a certain topic better, but now it's just like I have to make a decision here. Let's do this way, you know. Mm. Should I, you know, pray here or go there? You know, like certain decisions are are much more um, uh, curtailed, I think, than I would have given them more thought yeah. before because I had the time. <laughs> <laughs> what True. does what does practicing your religion how does it make you feel it makes me feel great it makes me feel like i'm uh connected to many different people it makes me um aware of my behavior and the consequences and makes me more empathetic it makes me just more curious intellectually um i think I think it challenges me to think beyond myself and not just as a person, as as an individual, but as part of a larger human experience and a history to tied to a certain group of people, which is like the Muslims of history. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's just an interesting, stimulating uh, aspect of life and having a spiritual tradition that I really value. Do is that what you turn to? Like, you know, obviously I'm asking these questions that sound kind of dumb, but like, you know, I'm not really a religious person. So do you, do you turn to religion? Is that, it's it, is it like the first line of defense for you when you're having like a difficult time to turn to, you know, religion and be like, okay, you know, maybe there are some answers here. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think it's just so, 
ingrained in everyday uh, life for me that I don't really consciously think, oh, I'm going to go turn to religion and figure this stuff out. I think it's just like, oh, here's here's a problem, you know, inshallah, like, which is like God willing, like it'll work out. You know, it just rolls off the tongue or like, oh, this awesome thing just happened to me. Like, alhamdulillah, you know, it's like, it's just automatically rolls off the tongue. Like you're, you're constantly engaging with these emotional, um, spiritual, uh, buzzwords that just are part of your identity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when, when something difficult will happen, for example, um, of course, like there's five daily prayers, so it'll come up. Like I might pray about it because there's always like a point where well, something difficult, I can't deal with it, you know, just pray about it. So it's, yeah, it's part of daily life. So I have some friends. Oh, I would say the majority, I would say I'm comfortable saying the majority of my friends are very devout Christians. Oh, um and I don't, I don't know why, if it's just where I grew up or maybe the type of people that I'm attracted to. Um, but more often, not more often than not, but oftentimes when something's going, you know, whatever in my life and difficult and like, you know, I'm confiding in my friends and stuff like that. And oftentimes they'll like tell me that they'll pray for me or that like recently, like my friend asked me if I wanted if it was okay if she prayed for me, like then at that time, you know, we're sitting in the car and she was like, you know, oh God, you know, please help my friend April, blah, blah, blah. And it's really sweet. Like, you know, first and foremost, I think it's very sweet um, that, you know, for them, that's, you know, probably the most powerful or, you know, most deeply felt thing that they can do as a friend, the most loving thing that they can mm-hmm. do as a friend for me, even though like I'm not religious, but I always wonder like, I don't know, it's kind of kind of interesting in that like I'm not religious, so it's like who is this benefiting? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I totally get that. Right? I, I, I get that. Um, here's the thing: like I appreciate that people do that, and it's it's them showing that they care. At the same time, it's not um, like I. It, I've experienced that in like the Muslim community. It's like, oh, just pray about it; it'll be fine. Or just pray about it; it'll be f-. like, mainly among like aunties or like people oh. who mean well but don't really have the resources or or whatever to figure out how to solve a problem exactly. It's like, oh, you're having such and such relationship issues here. Maybe you should talk to this counselor or right. you know talk talk to someone who has experience w- with human beings, right? <laughs> uh, um, so I have seen that uh, idea of like just praying about something to just sort of get rid of the problem or right. just stop talking about it or, you know. I mean, or, on or one hand, yeah, yeah. yeah, on one hand, it's like, you know, I, I of course I really appreciate it and I don't think that they're not, that they're trying to sweep something under the rug. Like, I think it's nice to understand that you can't do everything for another person and their problems, you know. It's kind of mm-hmm. like a nice... Um, a nice gesture of like boundaries in some ways because it's like I really care for you I really hope everything works out for you but I I can't do it I can't fix anything for you this is your life you know it's nice in that way but also in the other way it's like but I don't really I'm not really a part of this so like Mm. you doing it so that you feel better about it (laughs) like you know like I I don't I don't ever really think too cynically about it because it's nice but 
I don't know. You just kind of like question marks. I think as as the as the as the Christian of the three, I guess like I'm supposed to respond now. No, um, and I think uh, I always actually feel weird about it because like I'm not one of those people who jumps to it. Uh, okay. Uh, I'm going to tell the story, but obviously it's going to like make me look like a bad evil heathen. But like there's this time when, um, someone was at a retreat and somebody said their prayer, like they're talking about like church retreat, church retreat. See, I, I, I talk in Christianese without even knowing it, but like we went to a church retreat and, um, they were talking about like what their hobbies were. And someone said praying was one of their hobbies. And everyone's like, (laughs) Well, at least from my perspective, I was just, like, not, like, reading. Well, or, how like, old were you at this point? Uh, I mean, it was, like, recently. It was, like, a couple of years ago. It was Like, we were, like, adults, okay. you know? And, and to me, like, uh, it's not something that I have as much access to because I don't think, and this is another Christian way of speaking, but I'm gifted in that way. Like, I'm not gifted to immediately turn to prayer. And that's, that's partly um, a struggle with my own faith, like, trying to be more... Uh, faithful i think because because um you know like it's that access point where if you have a relationship with god you should be able to call him up on the phone like a friend and that's what prayer is supposed to be it's like phoning a friend you know like texting you know like you engage him with your life it's not like he's like well there's only certain parts of my life that are connected to god no it's like every aspect of it it's like you know um yeah every aspect should have access to that so um I think that I am actually like, I don't tell people when I'm praying for them just because uh, I think that sometimes, yeah, if you don't have the same experience um, of faith experience, like it can be misconstrued or it can look very um, holier than thou. And, and, and I, I'm on more on the, I err on the side of like being more cautious and, you know, like, I won't curse in front of certain people because maybe it would hurt their perception of other Christians. Do you know what I'm saying? So there's things that you do or don't do. Um, Like there's a verse in the Bible that says um, everything is beneficial. No, excuse me. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. And like, it's kind of like, well, you know, you can do something, but you know, how does that help that person? And like, say someone's going through a time of grief. My first reaction is to like, listen, you know, and, and that's after years and years of training, you know, like I remember, I remember, and I feel awful about this, but my friend was, her parents were going through a divorce and I started quoting Bible verses. And now my older self is punching my younger self in the <laughs> face. Like nobody wants to hear that when they're going through that kind of stuff. Like nobody, you know, like, and, but you know what? I know that now I know that now. And uh, you can totally laugh out loud. Sarah. <laughs> yeah. totally cool. okay. It's it's one of those moments where you're like, oh, you know like you have a lot more wisdom and so i think that when people do that yeah like to them it's not just a gesture or like they're like i can't do anything about it for them beyond that it's like the only person who can do something about it it has to be done supernaturally like like just for my own belief like someone's heart changing someone's heart you can't there's there's sometimes you cannot convince people you cannot talk someone into You know, like some people are easily persuaded, but, you know, like deeply entrenched things like like how we feel about ourselves, our self-worth, how how we relate to others, you know, like what we value in life. Sometimes those things are buried too deep. And if you want to change those to transform how you feel about them, then you have to go outside of yourself. You have to ask an external force. I mean, and that's part of what 
<laughs> double A meetings are about, right? Like Alcoholics Anonymous. It's like acknowledging there's something. Double A. Yeah, sorry. I, <laughs> I call it double It's funny because like my Christian fellowship was also like nicknamed double A because it was like Asian American Christian fellowship. Anyways. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you you've heard of it. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, like, so it's it's kind of like it's however people want to deal with it. Like Megumi, my roommate, who is like, she's just like one of those people who like brings joy and and peace into a room, and everyone's like, yeah, please pray for me, Megumi. But if it came from me, it'd be like, uh, is there anyone on the other line for you, Vanessa? Like, you know, like you know, like I, I think like. For me, the way that I do my faith is by trying to be present and trying to um, look out for like other kinds of needs and and just staying there as like a, a presence that's non-judgmental. That's like just kind of full of like grace yeah. and and stuff like that. So, um, but I think this is where like religion has that double-edged you know sword to it, right? Like when we talk about like religion and mental health, like. You know, religion and faith, they can, like, expand and, and, and truly help heal a person. But in, in some people's context, like, it's actually hurt them a lot. And that's why I want to take the documentary to faith communities, um, specifically my context, which is Asian American communities, because a lot of times their, their access to Christianity is about the rules aspect. And that's not where I believe, um, you know, like... That's not how I practice and that's not what I believe, you know, like, that's not why I believe Jesus came, you know, like, to save us, you know, like, he didn't, he didn't like, and now we have more rules, you know, like, <laughs> I just don't think that's why he came here, you know, um, and so I, I want the documentary to be a place sort of opening it up. So I'm curious for, for you, I mean, even, even as someone who doesn't, um, like, have a specific, like, institutional, like, religion, what is it for you that, like, you know, like, helps you deal with those hard situations or even how would you want someone who is religious to relate to you on matters where they just they don't know how to help you or well I think that this might be a roundabout way of answering the question but I think that one of the reasons that it just so happens I have all these very you know devout Christian friends is that like and I was really thinking about it, and I'm kind of like one of these things where it's like, why, why, you know? Like, I'm not really. You can Sorry. laugh. If yeah, you want. Yeah. It's not, just like, yeah, what? What's like, up with that? But I and I really have no interest, really, in like you know being participating in any kind of church or anything. Um, and for a long time, I always saw that it was like because they're just really patient people and people who like will put up with all my bullshit of like acting like a child and acting out and, you know, throwing tantrums and stuff. But I think more recently I'm like, I think it's because I am attracted to people who like living examined lives. Hmm. And I think that religious, faithful, devout, whatever you want to say, people have that side of their life very developed you know, like really looking at their thoughts and their actions and how it relates to who they are as people and how they exist in the world. And not to say that a religious people don't do that, but I don't know, it's just so much more vocalized, I suppose. And oh, it's like, like it's it's supposed to be. It's like ingrained as part of their everyday that they have right. to be. Right. Cool. So, I mean, Vanessa and I became friends when we were freshmen in high school and I wouldn't have never had this thought then. Hmm. But I think, 
that it makes sense. I think that that's one of the reasons why you and I became friends because we could have talks about stuff, you know, about yeah. life stuff. Um, and so I think um, to answer your question, which I totally forgot. <laughs> <laughs> just go with it. Just go with it. Just keep. I, like what keeps me going through difficult mm-hmm. times mm-hmm. Um, and my friends, you know, um, and people who I can talk to and like mm-hmm. talk things out with and um, just sources like spiritual um, sort of new agey type things, you know, like really addressing like how we live our lives, you know, in particularly not really a, a, a religious, you know, or faith based way, you know, but just like, you know, like self-help stuff, you know, yeah. stuff that I can mentally revert back to. Right. And like, it's kind of like a training, you know, like mentally in my mind, like if I feel this way and like, I feel like it's never going to be better or things are never going to mm-hmm. get better. What is sort of like the catchphrase or like you were saying the buzzword, you know, what's the thing that in my mind pops up and like, I can kind of rely on that thing and it kind of switches my, my brain into be like, okay, this is going to pass, you know, or things will be better. Or, you know, there's always a positive spin to this experience. Um, I mean, granted, like my life, you know, knock on wood has been real great, you know, and like, you know, I've had some, you know, difficulties in life, but I have never really experienced a true tragedy or anything like that. I'm totally setting myself up to get into a car accident on the way home. No, but I refuse. <laughs> but I don't know, does that answer your question? It does. And in fact, I kind of wanted you to talk about it because not everybody who's listening to this is religious. Do you know what I'm saying? Like not everyone's like, oh, I have this faith plan, you know, like I have this strategy. Like we call them salvation strategies because um, it sounds really cool. But, um, you know, like, what are those tools that you've been learning through um, the self-help books that like have really it's helped you? It's not like you? I'm always reading self-help oh, books, okay? You, I, I'll buy a self-help book, like an iBook, and then read like the two, like half of the introduction. Oh. Self-help books are hard. There's so much information yeah, yeah, and you like pretty... want to apply it to your life, but there's just too much to apply all at, to remember yeah. and apply all at once. I'm not even self-help, like, you know, going to therapy. Mm-hmm. Like I started to go to therapy a lot more often than I did before. I go, I used to just go super sporadically, like when something happened, and they'd be like, oh my God, I don't understand. Yeah. yeah, but now I'm going like every two to three weeks, sometimes every month. Um, even when I'm not feeling like a crisis, like sometimes I feel like I'm sitting there, I'm like, this is dumb. You know, like, why did I come here? Like, there's nothing going on in my life right now. But it's actually really helpful to sort of just bounce ideas off. And it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be crises. Yeah. It could just be like stuff that's going on. Like, <laughs> My therapist is basically like my love guru. Like everybody yes. in my life is my love guru. Like I'm constantly asking people questions about That's like be, dating and and love and all this stuff. But it's actually very helpful to get as much um as many different perspectives as possible, I suppose, because you know, some friends will be like you know, it's all about like gameplay and it seems like dating based on fear and manipulation. <laughs> or it's like, you know, my therapist is like you know, that's all games and you have to make yourself vulnerable, you know, because that's, if someone's going to lose interest in you, they're going to lose interest in you no matter what you do. You know, like you can play all the games you want, but the ending's going to be the same and you're not going to know that until it happens. So you have to let yourself be vulnerable and just go through it and like understand that stuff happens, Mm -hmm. you know, but you have to approach relationships or life or whatever with an open heart and, I feel so much more comfortable with that that perspective than like 
girl first you gotta blah 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 you know like <laughs> i think that that is applicable maybe for like the first month of seeing somebody you know because it's so it's kind of weird and you're feeling each other out but like if you if you found somebody that you like you know have an open heart and be yourself you know and like i don't want to be with somebody where i'm always afraid you know i want to experience love and like happiness and mm-hmm. you know trust and all that stuff and it might go to hell who knows you know but I would rather live that way than be afraid. Yeah. No, I think I think it's good to talk about those tools that we use, you know, and faith is just like part of that tool set. In, yeah, it seems in- like religion slash faith, it's kind of like gives you like a roadmap, you know, like there are people who are like, you know, let's think about these things and do it in this way and have a structured way. But if you're not religious, who do you find? Like, I think this is what you're asking, right? Like, how do you get that life roadmap if you're if you don't have like you know religion or faith to sort of like you know set it out for you mm-hmm. and i think for me it's just a lot of searching and a lot of you know what works for me what resonates with me mm-hmm. um <laughs> jillian michaels <laughs> oh yeah right, right, right. She's got a podcast is pretty awesome um just voices like wise compassionate voices mm-hmm. that i find out there yeah Can we do pause uh, and talk about vulnerability for just a second? Because we actually talked about vulnerability at church today. We oh. um, why are we pausing? And, you don't have to pause. Oh well, it was because I, I have other questions for Sarah, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring you back into the conversation because like I'm curious. Uh, there was this uh, TED talk that was called "The Power of Vulnerability," and it's actually one of the most listened to TED talks. And I remember someone like this other producer I'd been talking to about my documentary and she was like, I'm going through therapy, all these other things. And she's like, you have to watch this thing. And confession time, I have not watched it. But like, I mean, like um, in terms of like roadmaps and, and toolboxes, like, and, and dating even relationship advice, like where does vulnerability like play into your life? Sarah. Wow. I think I pretty much fall in the same attitude is is april i mean i think vulnerability is essential to any sort of healthy relationship you have to go there or you won't know what it's about you won't know how you react to situations how they react to situations that's how trust is built by first showing vulnerability and taking that leap uh so i mean is there a specific question about have you always felt that way or is that something that you kind of came to after a certain you know no, I was. Point. I think I always felt that way, but I I definitely have uh, had different guards uh, over time to protect myself from people who could not be trusted with vulnerability because there are certain situations where you need to be you know the strong one and need to be the leader and whatnot, and it's in intimate situations or with friends and and trusted loved ones that you are vulnerable because that's where you know the trust is already there, um, so. It's essential in order to be a healthy human being to be able to show vulnerability because if you can't, then part of your heart is dead. <laughs> what did you just say? Part of your heart is dead. Yeah, if you can't be vulnerable, there is something very numb. We're putting that on a T-shirt. Part of your yeah, actually, let's do that. That's our first T-shirt. Part of your heart is dead, and on the back, the bull in the badger podcast. <laughs> 
People are totally going to think this is a lighthearted discussion about mental health. Parts of your heart is dead. No, you're right. It's true. I mean, um, when's the last time you can, you don't have to name exactly, but like, when's the last time you could remember that being vulnerable with another person? It's another person. Well, right now. (laughs) I mean, I've been, I have a good relationship with my sister and we talk about a lot of things and problems and issues that come up. So I think we are vulnerable with each other because we have that sisterhood. Um, But is that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Kind of like who that's with and stuff like that. You up next? I talked about vulnerability. Okay, like. right, 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 right. <laughs> When's the last time you were vulnerable? Um, like three hours ago. <laughs> oh, shoot. <laughs> this whole time? Obby. Obby. Okay. Obs. I think for me it was last week, just because, like, um, you know. Well, I'll people- say, okay, I'll, oh, I'll, like, oh. a little more applicable. I was vulnerable last night. I went, it's so weird to talk about a current relationship as it's happening, but like, so I went to a fair with Mm -hmm. a guy Mm -hmm. and some other people and I was like really happy because like I've been, you know, you do these things with like your significant others, like various significant others throughout, you know, your dating life and like, I don't know, those types of things like always seemed real fun but then like in practice it's kind of like mm, it's boring you know yeah, yeah, yeah. but like we went yesterday and I was like really happy you know I've been consistently very happy over the past month or so and like in a way that I had not really felt with other people before and um and so like you know instead of being like you know you talked about like wall Sarah walls and guards you know and like sarcasm is like you know my wall or guard of choice you know just like you don't get near my heart I'm just gonna be sarcastic with you you know and um but I I don't know I just was like so happy and very lighthearted and feeling lucky and stuff and so like toward and he's like a super sarcastic person and toward the end of the night he was like oh so how did you, did you enjoy the fair you know and I was like it was the best fair ever you know all we did was eat bad food and like <laughs> Look My at kind rocks, of fair. You know? <laughs> Look at gems. Like, that's all we did. But I had fun, you know? And he was like, he's being sarcastic. And he was like, that was the best fair ever. You haven't been to that many fairs. Oh. I was so sad. I almost cried. Like, I had made myself vulnerable, mm-hmm. you know, and like expressed like a real Something feeling, true, yeah. you know? And then I was kind of like made fun of. I mean, I, I get. I get where he's coming from. I get who he is. You know, like, I don't think... He didn't say anything to hurt me or anything like that. It wasn't malicious. It's just him being normally sarcastic. But it was like, I had I'd wished that we kind of had synced in that moment of just being like, you know... Being able to share a joy or, like, right. for him to build on that sentiment right. that you... And be, it's because of him, you know? It's not just, like, I just happened to be happy and wanted to share with him. It was, like, because of him that I felt happy. He's going to hear this and feel awful which I he won't hear he for like a couple months though. yeah <laughs> we'll see if he lasts um oh dear <laughs> well, but wait, like i was really like... sad and pissed and i like kind of did my normal thing where like i just shut down you know and give the silent treatment and don't look at him you know and obviously he got not necessarily why exactly i was upset but he got that i was upset you know oh, and apologized not really knowing why you know and all that stuff mm. but yeah, I don't know. That is that. A, I think that was a moment of vulnerability, <laughs> and it's hard. Like 
that's what happens. You don't have any guarantees that being vulnerable is going to pay off. But I would prefer to live my life like that and get a little bruised here and there than to never in- allow myself to experience these things, yeah. you know. Otherwise, you're walking around being sarcastic all the time. Or, you're, right. or your heart's dead. <laughs> or, yeah, yeah your half dead. of your heart is dead or whatever. <laughs> the Bull and Badger podcast. You're going to say, did you have a story? Um, Just really quickly. I, I just... um. Uh, I like everybody asks you like how you're doing and then I always have like a rote answer because I'm always like do you share more or you know like you know like it's it's the it's either one percent or a hundred percent yeah and I'm like maybe there's like a 25 percenter that I can go and I think um I I said something really simple like I just feel really overwhelmed and something's got to give and I don't know how I'm going to keep existing you know like because it's so hard and it's a simple statement but it was the truest thing I'd said in a while or not the truest thing but something that's hard to admit to you know just too much like because we're like oh we're busy and there's the sense of being busy where you're like proud of it you're like yeah look at me I'm so busy you know and like in like in LA everybody's busy you know everybody's like doing stuff and you know um you know living their lives like making money and you know being excellent wheeling and dealing yeah and and I'm not one of those people and I don't want to be one of those people but I think I feel like at least at, at the job you have to look like a certain amount of busy in order to feel important, you know? And, and for me, like just talking with a really good friend about how overwhelmed I felt, like it was good. It was good to say it. Um, and then, you know, like, of course nobody can change that for you, you know, but to, to, to speak the words was important. So yeah, I don't know. Um, I guess, uh, I, I, I we're getting know. up there with time. We're getting up there with time. I mean, I'm I'm still enjoying whatever we're talking about. I do want us to talk about really quickly about um, what how Muslims deal with therapy and what their views on mental health are. Um, like before we like completely close up shop. If you have any <clears throat> thoughts on that. Well, I'm not an expert on the Muslim community and You're mental Dr. health. You're Dr. Muslim right now. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Oh, token Muslim here. Um, But, I mean, it's been an interesting uh, phenomenon over maybe a decade where the Muslim community in mosques and in in religious circles, people are discussing mental health and issues that come up Mm -hmm. in a more open way. Uh, Like, when I was younger, I would only hear things like, oh, just pray about it and, you know, things will just fix itself. You know, those were were, uh, things that were more easily um, said in the mosques. But I think since the Muslim American community has more leaders who are raised in America and have gone to Western you know, education, ed- academic institutions, and also have like a, a religious uh, traditional training, they have the best, best of both worlds and uh, people are much more comfortable talking to them about uh, issues that come up and um, suggesting practical solutions like, oh, you know, for for mental health disorders, you can talk to these people and that people. Well, like having these, resources yeah, on hand. Uh-huh. These are the organizations that are out there outside of the mosque. Uh, sure. Don't just go talk to the imam, like talk to all these other people too. So that's, that's just part of the growth of the Muslim American community from like an immigrant um, old country sort of operation mode to an Americanized, institutionalized sort of mode. Quick question. Um, I just raised my hand for the benefit of those who can't see my hand raised. Um, 
so in 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 uh growing up uh at my church and just as a christian like i think you're supposed to go to your pastor or go to leaders of the church like is there that same sense of like counseling and like um uh i've uh the term that they use is biblical counseling and like you know kind of you seek out the leader of the church in order to like well you know what should i do what do you think the bible has to say about this or that is there the same sense of kind of counseling when you talk to the imam or um any religious leader within the community i think yeah for sure like by default a lot of people uh, will go to the imam to ask about problems and like oh this is happening in my family or this is happening in my relationship or my kids are doing this and i don't know what to do mm-hmm. um th- the easiest thing for a lot of people is to go talk to the imam i don't know if it's the same tradition as like bibli- biblical counseling or it's mm-hmm. it's not like official like there's no language like that it's just what people do yeah. um and so that's that's there it's part of the community there's also a lot of uh, people who go to the internet to ask imams on the internet <laughs> uh like different scholars there's websites like uh islamic city islamic finder uh that those sort of resources and you can like ask different sheikhs and they'll give you like a detailed response with different uh verses and whatnot on the internet are they across the spectrum of like being conservative to progressive Yes, I've seen more like the traditional conservative uh, um, imams giving responses. So I think that's what's. I haven't seen like progressive imams too much on official websites. Um, however, I have seen imams with Facebook pages uh, <laughs> who've like posted certain topics and uh, they're like this is a huge problem in our community we need to address it and then other people will respond and um, it'll become a huge discussion and it'll be just really uh, really um, constructive um, in a way that a conservative website wouldn't necessarily have that back and forth it would just be like here's the sheikh's answer there you go. <laughs> Whereas, like, uh, with the progressive, you know, like, I hesitate to call them pro- progressive, but they're just, like, on Facebook, you know? And they can be more conservative or not, but they're open to everybody's feedback. And that's great to see multiple people saying, this is good, this is not good, I don't know what you're talking about. The imam should be doing saying this instead, you know? So, like, this whole community discussion is happening based on the fact that the imam cares. <laughs> Here's the issue. It's good to see that. Cool. And um, sorry, did you have anything else? No. I also, um, just because you are our first South Asian, ah, um, <laughs> what what would you say is um, the kind of Bangladeshly... Yeah, it was very hard for some reason. I think it's because I didn't know what the next word was going to be. But like culturally, like I feel like uh, it, Chinese Americans aren't uh super like physically affectionate or don't say i love you and that's like a traditional view of obviously there's a range what what would you say in the the bangladeshi culture i did it everybody did it yeah it's pretty Um, similar oh yeah (laughs) Yeah, you did it congrats (laughs) um but yeah like what what is your experience like in that yeah, my family never said I love you. <laughs> like, I was weird. You wouldn't say that. I'm like, all these white people say that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what's up with that? Let's talk about Go that. Go do the dishes. <laughs> <laughs> what, was, what was there was a way of saying I love you then? I don't What was it? I mean, uh, I think... Cooking would, you food. Yeah, I think that's it. Like, here's here's a great big dinner or here's some sweets, you know. Here's new clothes for the holidays, right. you know, that sort of thing. It was just providing right. a nice yeah. life. 
Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, I had to ask. I had a I was like curious cuz I I gotten a couple stories from people and they're on the website like about like That's the second time they did that. Okay, so there's a World Cup going on right now. Yeah, okay. People are <laughs> periodically screaming really loudly, and I feel nope. like my heart is going to explode. No one is being oh. murdered, as far okay. as we know. Just okay. murdered in soccer. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, what, what was I going to say? Do you want to yeah. do, do sort of uh, start to wind down? Yeah, we can do that. Let's do the Kersey thing. I'm curious. Vanessa got really excited. Well, so do you know for sure what Sarah is? I think it was we've talked about it. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we can't do the guessing game. No, but can I want you to guess? Because I feel like you could get really good at this if you tried. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I know. Come on, you're an INFJ. You're like, you have psychic powers. <sighs> okay. First letter is an IRE, introverted or extroverted. This is kind of a toughie, but I'm just going to go with my first instinct and say introverted. Okay, don't make, don't like, you know. Uh, make any signs that I'm right or wrong because I'll go through the entire thing. The second one is S and N? No, is that right? Yeah. Okay, sensing and intuitive. Intuitive. I think you're intuitive. Wait, what did you just say for the first one? I. I? Okay. So introverted, intuitive, thinking, and perceiving. Thinking or feeling? Thinking or feeling. I think it's a toss-up, but I'm going to just, top of my head, say thinking. Okay. And then judging or perceiving. I forgot what that means. It's about how you structure your life. Whether um, you're more scheduled, which is judging, or if you're more um, like whimsical and spontaneous, which is probing or perceiving. So... Structured and spun- structured and deadlines and close-endedness or um, uh, spontaneity, whimsy and okay. So structure. Okay. J. So I N S J. No T. 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 T for thinking. J. Am I right? She's very good. I yeah, mean, she was really close. Yeah, I think very you're, close. you're an E, though? Yeah. 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 ENTJ. Uh, ENTJ. Yeah. That's oh, really cool. good, though. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's a high... Yeah. Really? Yay! Yeah, everybody... April's learning! See, you, you'll be good at this, too. <laughs> and I, I, I mean, like, you already have instincts towards it. That's why I'm like, meh, she's got it. But um, So what's ENTJ? ENTJ is the, uh, it's called the Field Marshal, according to field the Kiersey, <laughs> Kiersey book. And like, that's like a real sexy, yeah. <laughs> the Field Marshal. It's like, you just see someone like marching down the field with like 76 strong votes. <laughs> no, it's like, comes from like more military kind of uh, terminology. And it's, it's about marshalling your forces and finding the most efficient strategies to get to somewhere. So um, last week uh, we talked to an INTJ, which is the mastermind. So they work more behind the scenes. And then the ENTJs are more about like in a more, um, they're in a group setting. They're usually the ones who take charge and things like that. But Sarah's probably closely I slash E, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so sometimes it can go either way. It's harder to tell. I feel like when you're older, like when you're younger, like I don't know, you don't really have social develop social skills, you know. So it's kind of more obvious if you're like real quiet or whatever. But when you get a little older, like you've developed certain right, 
ways to go about yeah. appearing normal. <laughs> All right. Well, I kind of have these, like, oh, yeah. do you guys want to do a little quiz? Like, it's totally off topic because I thought we were talking about something else today. Really? I don't know why. I thought we were talking about faith and feminism. Oh, we were. We were going to talk about, like, some of Sarah's work. I guess um, we're going to have to like, talk about put it real links quick. to that. Oh, look at you. Facebook friend. Confirm. Woohoo. Ooh. We did that, like, all in the course of, you know, us talking because of the interwebs, peeps. The interwebs. Um, and I didn't get any questions. Do you questions. guys like movie trivia? I'm going to rock this out. It's a USC versus UCLA battle. Okay. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, shit. it's on. It's on. I'm going <laughs> to... You're going to win. I call it. I'm actually okay. betting on you. Stuff. <laughs> okay. This one is like a lightning round. So whoever just knows it, just Wait, wait, do we buzz in? I do have hints. Okay, so I thought we were talking about feminism. So this is like, these are feminist movies. Oh, wait. That's the topic. I'm going to lose at this one. <laughs> feminist movies. Oh, gosh. Okay, first question. What? Okay, we're doing this, by the way, because no one likes the therapy card game. It's like not even a game. It's like some horrible Tortures? torture device. It so, is kind of because it's scary. Yeah, we're changing it. Oh, okay. Thank you. This is fun. Okay. okay. Number one. <laughs> What 1991 film stars two female actors, both Thelma named and Louise. Mary? What? what? Both named Mary? Two fam- female actors, both named Mary. The actors, not the characters. Sister Act? No. No, no, no. no. The, not the characters. The actor, actors actual themselves. actors. themselves. Yes. 1991. This is one of my favorite childhood movies. Really? Oh, it's not, is it's it not then a and child now? movie. Is it then and now? No, now and then? No. no. Now and later. It's not, not a kid's movie. It was just when I was a kid. <sighs> okay, hint. Hint. Set in the South. Fried Green Tomatoes? Yeah! yeah! <laughs> what are the, what are the actresses' names? Uh, oh, gosh. Um, Mary. They're three, three-parter names. Good job, Vanessa. She's real good at trivia. Mary Ann, Mary Beth, Mary, Mary Sue. Uh, I can only think of Jessica Lange. <laughs> and in it. Gina Davis, right? No, I don't know what movie <laughs> I'm thinking still like of. stuck on like fried greens tomatoes. <laughs> Kathy Bates, Jessica oh. Tandy, maybe that's what you're thinking. That's what I'm thinking of. Okay. Um, Ma- you want me? Yes, please. Mary Stuart Masterson, Mary <gasps> Louise Parker. Oh, I love that movie. Hmm. I didn't know until I was like maybe ten years ago that it's kind of like when it was like not only feminist but like also like lesbian. I heard that later on too. I was like, "Oh, okay." Love that movie. <laughs> Maybe that informed my obsession with lesbians. <laughs> okay, number two. I think that was Zena, actually. <laughs> no, because that was after Fried Green Tomatoes. Oh, you're right. Okay, it was the primer. <laughs> what? Okay, number two. What 1985 movie, also set in the South, won 14 Oscars? 1985. I'm sorry, Oscars. you guys. I'm like choosing. But old that's movies. that's like so random. 1985. Hmm. Uh, color, color purple. purple. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, was it a tie? Can we make that it was a tie? tie. Yes. Yeah. So Vanessa has 1.5 points. It's very, very scientific. <laughs> okay. Now these aren't the same. These aren't lightning round questions. But um, I have a bunch of like you know like female group movies. Uh-huh. And so try to name at least three either actors. You can mix and match actors or character names of these girl group oh, movies. Oh, do we buzz in again? Uh, yeah. Okay. 
Finis is just gonna buzz in and then think. She's not gonna yeah. think first. And then. <laughs> she plays dirty, so you gotta like. Yeah. Okay, this is an easy one, and yeah. it's not really a girl movie, like in the sense that there's like a group of girls, but it's easy. It's, it'll, it'll start you off. <laughs> this is not fun for you, Sarah. <laughs> I can see it. In your we eyes. should go back to the therapy flashcards. <laughs> I'm trying to remember my childhood, and all my interests are like of that of a 12 year old boy. So I'm not quite. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. okay, me too. So, like I said, three names, either actors or the characters. Okay. Clueless. Okay, Sarah. Uh, Alicia Silverstone. Uh huh. Um, what's her face? Oh, oh nope. She died. I got this. Yeah. One. I uh-huh. got this. No, no, no. You can't get the one who died. That's not her no, name. No, that's not. I'm not saying that's right. I'm just going. Uh huh. Yeah. You're on. You're, you're on the way. Ah, oh, nice. Concede. Go. Boom. Uh, Alicia Silverstone, Brittany Murphy, and Stacey yeah, Dash. That's her. St- wow, Stacey Dash. Oh, sorry. I turned off the. <laughs> Stacey. Stacey Dash. That is a. How do you know that, Vanessa? Because she's the, um, she shares best friend. Uh, 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 they're both named after psychics, Sharon Dion. Very good. <laughs> what, how'd you guys feel about the Iggy Azalea, uh, video? Like, what is, why? Because it was, like, based on Clueless. Oh, really? Almost, yeah, fancy. Yeah. I've been kind of obsessed. Almost shot for shot. But very little actual knowledge of the sort of Iggy Azalea versus Azalea Banks. Who's Azalea Banks? She's an, or another girl rapper. Oh, really? Yeah. They have, like, a Twitter beef. <gasps> yeah. No! Only because they have, like, the same name and they're both female That's rappers. That's so I thought, silly! Yeah, it's kind of confusing. But I personally kind of like Azalea Banks a little more. I gotta listen to her stuff. No one cares. Okay. <laughs> Pop culture. I'll do, like, a... An, okay. Ready? Little Women. Um, I mean, I can do the characters just because I remember Little Women. But I'm going to let Sarah try this one. The only one I know is, like, Winona Ryder. Uh-huh. That's it. Claire Danes. <laughs> right? Claire Danes. She was Beth. I remember. And I, I'm not really, like, a Little Woman person. Can I, can I, can I mention that my dad took me to go see that? Uh-huh. And that we both cried. <laughs> we both cried. <laughs> the end. I think he's okay Did with you Did you do that, like, that. real sneaky, like, wipe the tear off real fast? Or just wait for them to dry on your face. I think I was a child, so it wasn't as big of a deal. <laughs> okay, one more. Now I feel bad because, like, I chose something that maybe is not your forte and it's not fair. Um, maybe we should talk about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Secret of the U's. <laughs> the what? Secret of the U's, second movie. Secret of the U's? Yeah, that was the part two. Oohs! <gasps> yeah, ooze. Oh, <laughs> pizza delivery guy. <laughs> totally remember that. Okay. Rocky and Bebop. Pitch Perfect. I, oh man. I don't. I like know two of their names. I should know more. Okay. Okay. Um. Sorry. Sarah. No, it. no, no, I only know uh, Elizabeth Banks, um, Anna Kendrick, and oh man, who's the funny girl? Uh, uh, uh. Oh yeah. Rebel Wilson. There you go. Okay, yeah. Is that really her name? Huh? Well, like her real name? I don't know. Probably uh, not. Because it always remember, reminds me of the singer. You know what I'm talking about? Wilson the, Phillips. Yeah, I don't know why. I feel like her name should be in 
Rebel Wilson. Right. Well, this podcast is petered out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. We have to try something new well, next let's, week. Um, let's plug um, stuff that Sarah's doing right now. Go for it. Tacos. Russian Red. Russian Red number seven. That's the feature film that I'm working on right now, producing with writer, director, producer Lori So. And if you want to check it out, the website is RussianRed7.com. And hopefully we will be shooting in the fall. Um, Whoa, yeah, that's soon! Yeah, um, and donations to the film are tax deductible, so you can get money back at the end of the year if you want to donate and be so kind. Are you, like, um, sponsored or anything like that? Like- yes, we're sponsored, we're fiscally sponsored by a nonprofit organization from Great. the Heart Productions. Wow. So, mm-hmm. That's awesome. Um, what are some other cool things, like things that would attract people to this film? Like besides like the plot and how it's like kind of awesome that you're talking about AIDS in China and also, uh, you know, racism in France and what, what, what are the, some other things? Well, AIDS in China is, is a really new topic, actually. Like people have begun to talk about it. Like they just had their first AIDS walk uh, like a, wow. a year ago, maybe in the past couple of years. Jeez. And uh, this current president is... Uh, it's like a big thing that he's been in the same room with an HIV positive person. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's it's opening up the conversation in a context where people have just basically ignored it or denied that it is a problem. Mm-hmm. So that's a big deal for for China to have a movie about HIV and AIDS. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, and France has a, a lot of issues with race and racial tension. So and and France has the largest Chinese community in Europe, actually. Really? So yeah, yeah. What? Yeah. Not England. <laughs> No, not England. It's France. Yeah. Where are you getting your numbers? Uh, from actually from Lori. I think oh. how she frames it is uh, the largest minority in uh, France is the Chinese community. Uh, so um, not yeah. Like not the like Moroccan or like. I must be getting my facts backwards. I think I've just mangled some facts. So apologies for that. Oh, okay. <laughs> we'll be with it. Yeah, but the, China, the the largest Chinese population in Europe is in France. So, yeah. Um, Either way, super cool. Yes, very cool. Very cool. Um, and, and this film is like ultimately like life-affirming and anyone who likes the theme of like a dark past being redeemed in the future and having uh, renewable hope for any choice that you want to make in life and being able to rebuild your life no matter what has happened like this is that sort of film it gives a person hope i mean there's different kinds of romantic dramas that are intercultural you know but it's not just the cultures that are the issue in this film it's like oh by the way she's got hiv (laughs) (laughs) oh crap it's a buffet of issues yeah so (laughs) how many languages are you guys going to film in we are going to be filming in uh french and mandarin and there's going to be subtitle, uh, subtitles in English and Spanish. Thank God. <laughs> I really needed, <laughs> needed those Spanish subtitles. <laughs> or else, how would I know? Um, awesome. Very cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. We are definitely having you back. I'm not just yes. saying that. Yes. You're definitely Woo-hoo! coming back because she we made... need to talk about all these other cool things like that feminism? you're interested in. Yeah. And Twitter. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. And blogs. Teach us the tweets. Also, also uh, bl- I'm blinking. Also, (laughs) there was one other thing. Oh, dating because uh, uh, Sarah made a documentary about Muslim dating. Mm -hmm. Muslims in love. So when are you gonna watch my film, Sarah? I am dying to watch your film. I am a bad friend because I haven't watched it yet, but it's gonna happen. It is inevitable. It's it's inevitable. (laughs) All right, we'll do an exchange. I'm gonna watch your dating documentary, and you can watch my film. Deal. Which can be a lot more depressing, but you know. 
It's okay. Have fun with it. <laughs> All right. Thank you. And this is us signing off. Or wait, is there like a industry thing I should say? Blasting in. Blasting in. <laughs> Blasting on. Okay. Thanks, everybody.